All right, so it looks like all the gear is plugged in. The notes are up on my screen. And I have hit record. This is the Gorman Limit. like snow like it now and i think that part of the reason that they like snow now is because a lot of them are working from home you know they're working from home because we're still in the uh that time before the coronavirus vaccine has become widely distributed you know and so there's a lot of people work at home now and when you take a commute out of the equation, you know, snow stops being something which is super uh, irritating. It, it stops being a thing which I guess becomes a problem or something that makes your life more difficult. And it starts to be recognized as this really kind of beautiful, perhaps even pleasant phenomenon, right? You know, so we had the first snow. I, I like this. The I, I like walking in snow. I like being outside when there's snow. Uh, if I could take a vacation and I had the option of going to a place that was like warm and there was there was beaches or someplace that was uh, kind of like maybe cold and mountainy, right? I, I would probably pick cold and mountainy. I wouldn't pick it every time, but I think that I would be more inclined to pick 
cold and mountainy and snowy. I think that's more my jam. Uh, and I, so anyways, that's, that's a nice thing. It's got me in a good mood. I, I woke up early. I made myself a cup of oolong tea. I'm drinking it now. It is delicious. And I am recording this episode of The Gorman Limit. Uh, so what am I talking about on this episode other than waking up early and it being winter? On this episode of The Gorman Limit, what I'm going to do is try to tell you a story and not just tell you a story because telling stories is fun, but tell you a story because I think there is hopefully a valuable lesson in the story that I'm going to tell. This is a story of something that happened to me. It's something that happened to me very early on in my career. And when I, this happened, I was working some places. This is my first, yeah, I think this was my, no, it was my second. I was my second real job as like a a mental health professional. And the place that I was working at was a residential facility. So the people who were there, they, they lived there. They didn't like come in, do stuff and then leave and go home. The, they lived in the facility and the, there was a bunch of different units in this particular facility. And the unit that I was working on was an adolescent male unit. So I was working with all adolescent males, right? And uh, I was a fairly, I was a much younger person when I had that job that I am today talking into this microphone. I would have been in my, I'm going to, I don't actually know exactly how old I would have been, but let's ballpark it somewhere. Uh, I'm going to say it's like right in the period where you're, mid 20s is coming to like an end and uh like your late 20s is just beginning that's about when this was happening in my life uh and this is this is this job was great honestly i really liked a lot about this job i'm not gonna say a whole lot more about it uh but i'm gonna say that it was a, a job that i was excited to have when i had it i remember when i got this job i was thrilled i was like yes this is this is the kind of work i want to do and I went into this job, you know, with uh, thinking, even though I was not, you know, that old at the time, uh, I remember thinking that I was somebody who was wise, that I was somebody who knew what I was talking about, that I was somebody who could really be helpful to people if they would just let me. You know, these are some of the things that I was, I was thinking about. I, was ex- I wanted to help people. I was excited to help people. I thought I could help people. And uh, I thought, yeah, here I am. I got this job. And it's going to be a great job because in this job, I am going to be able to help people. But, you know, even though I felt that way, some of the people who were residents in the facility where I was working, they didn't think that way. And they didn't necessarily see me the way that I saw myself. And and when I say necessarily, they certainly didn't see me the way that I saw myself. They didn't see me as some wonderful person who was, you know, there to help them. They saw me as a a dude who didn't really know them, didn't really know where they came from, didn't really understand their lives because, you know, they they looked at me and they thought uh, this dude, you know, just he doesn't get it. And really, let's if I'm being honest, they were right. They were more right than I was. Right. There was so much about their lives that I didn't get. And I was young and idealistic and very optimistic and. I, I just was like, no, I do. I understand. I understand. I understand what it's like to be a human being. You and me, we're both people. You know, we the, this this whole thing about us 
being different. No, 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 that's not right. Really deep down where this in like if I were to, when I had that kind of an attitude, people, uh, they didn't respond to it necessarily very favorably. In fact, many of them found it extremely patronizing and highly irritating. All right, so that's, that's sort of my setup, I guess, for this story. That's where I was working at the time. So let's, let's do a little bit of transition music here. When we come back, I'm going to tell you the story. So in my, my setup, I painted a picture for you, right? I painted my picture, and in that picture, there was this younger version of me, very excited, very optimistic, really ready to help people, right? That's, that's what I was going for. So if you got that picture of a young me, then I did my job. Well, when I started working at this place, that version of me didn't last all that long. And there's a lot of reasons for this. So the, the facility that I was working at was a substance abuse treatment facility. The people who were patients there, they were all young men who had some form of a substance abuse disorder. They were young men who had gotten in trouble for doing something and as they worked their way through the legal system, their lawyer, who was usually a public defender, had successfully made an argument to a judge. And that argument would be something like, Your Honor, my client, you know, did break the law, did do something inappropriate, did do something wrong. But the reasons that my client did this wrong thing it's not because he is just like a bad person who enjoys doing bad things. No. The reason is because they have a substance abuse issue, because they have a drug problem. And what would be a lot more beneficial for them and for society than putting them in jail or prison would be to have them go to a form of treatment where they can get the help that they need. And then when they get that help, after they get that help, what will end up happening is they'll, you know, leave treatment and they'll go back into society and they will be, you know, perhaps cured of their addiction. If they're cured of their addiction, one of the byproducts of that will be that they also no longer do the sorts of things that landed them here in your courtroom, right? That would be the kind of argument that a lawyer would make. And if the judge bought that kind of an argument, the judge would be like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's send this person, in the case of the people I was working with, let's send this kid to treatment as opposed to putting them in jail or prison. That seems like a better idea. And so they would, this kid would be given the option at that point, right? They, they would say, hey, kid, do you want to go to jail or, or to prison? Or would you rather go to substance abuse treatment? Now, most of the time when a kid was given that option, they would pick the treatment center because treatment centers are, by and large, much, much nicer than jails or prisons, right? Like if you have to pick between the two, going to a treatment center, you're going to have, uh, your life is probably going to be a lot nicer 
in a treatment center than it is in a jail or a prison. And so most, uh, I mean, in the case of me, all the kids that I was working with took this option. Uh, it's important to point out that in the courtroom, not everybody does. There were some people who were like, you know what? Nope, treatment, not interested. I'll just do the time. Uh, and I'm sure that they had their reasons for making that decision. I just wasn't working with those people. I was working with the kids who I'm using my, my fingers here to do something that you can't see because it's a podcast. They chose to go to treatment. So why am I putting chosen quote marks? I don't, this is one of those choices that I'm going to say isn't really a choice. This is not. Uh, there's a, a thing that I believe, which is that it, any choice that you make with a gun to your head is just not a choice. And so what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that if somebody is given a air quotes choice that looks like this, hey, do this thing that you would probably not normally do and probably don't want to do or else have something really terrible happen to you. You know, in those instances, people, you know, they do some mental math. They, they run some calculations. And if the calculations come up that doing the thing that I normally wouldn't do will be a lot less painful to me than, you know, the alternative, they'll do that thing. But that doesn't mean that they want to do it. It doesn't mean that they're like choosing it the way that right now, I, you know, this morning I chose to make myself a cup of tea instead of a cup of coffee. That's a choice. I chose that right? There was, I wasn't under duress. No one was coercing me. There wasn't any consequences that were really going to mess me up if I made one choice or the other, right? That's a choice. Uh, later on in the day, I'm going to choose what I want to eat for lunch. That's a choice. At some point, I'll, I'll choose to go outside and shovel my driveway. That, that's a choice, right? I can choose when I want to do that. Those are all choices. Now, if somebody, if I was outside and somebody came up to me and they had like a knife or a gun, and they, they stuck it in my face and they said, hey, give me your wallet, give me your phone, I would do it. I would, I'd give them those things, right? And be like, here you go. That doesn't mean that I want to give this person my wallet and my phone, right? Under, it, under normal circumstances, I probably would not do that. But just giving up those objects, which are objects and very replaceable, is way better than potentially getting shot or stabbed, Right. Uh, so, but I, in, in no, no sane person would actually say that I chose to gave, to, to give, uh, a person robbing me, whatever it is that I give them. You, you could say that you could say that I made a choice in that situation. That would be in some ways an accurate statement, but let's not pretend that that choice is like what, what I'd call like a real choice, right? It's a certain kind of choice. So that's an important thing. Why am I telling you this? Well, the by the time these kids that I was working with got to the substance abuse treatment center, usually what happened is like, you know, that this would happen, the court thing would happen, uh, and there'd be some time in between that court date and them coming to the substance abuse treatment center. Sometimes they'd be at home during that time. Sometimes they'd be in jail during that time. It kind of depended on their circumstances. Um, but by the time they got there, you know, they they were like, all right, I'm right, I'm going to do this thing. I, this is something I'm doing. It's not something I want to do. It's not something that I really care about. I'm just doing it because it's a lot better than going to jail. That was their attitude. They were not like, oh my gosh, my life is messed up. I, I, I really need this. That was not their attitude going into substance abuse treatment. Their attitude was like, let's just get this thing done so that I can kind of get back to doing the things that I want to do, right? And uh, so that's it. Uh, additionally, 
I am a white male. In this place, I would say the vast majority of the young men that I was working with were people of color. And, you know, I, I grew up in a solidly suburban kind of middle class or ish uh, environment, right? Uh, the kids that I was working with grew up in conditions that were, from a socioeconomic perspective, a lot worse than mine. They were, I mean, I think that, that I had access to opportunities and, and to advantages that these young men that I was working with did not have. And, you know, they knew that when they came in. So from their perspective, they're doing this thing. They don't really want to do it. Here's this dude who's saying, hey, I'm here to help you. And they're like, what do you know about anything? What do you know about my life? Which really was not inappropriate for them to have that attitude. I didn't know anything about their lives. I didn't know what I, I was. I was young. I was naive. I had not come from the conditions that they had come from. I had not lived anything remotely close to the lives that they had lived. I, I was a total outsider. And here's the thing. Rather than just being like, hey, I don't understand what brought you here. Rather than having that attitude, I had a different attitude. My attitude was like, no, I do understand what brought you here because I've gone to institutions of fancy book learning. I've read my books. And although I might still be in my 20s, I'm wise. I know things. You know, I'm one, I'm one of those people who's... I'm smart and I'm empathic. I, you know, I had a rather high opinion of myself, I, I think, looking back at it. And these kids, they sensed that and they're like, oh, okay, you're one of those dudes. You're one of those, like, I'm here to help you, you know, kind of dudes. But really, mm, you, you, you can't because you just don't really understand enough about me. You don't understand enough about uh, why I'm here to even begin to offer something of value. Yeah. But they didn't usually say that they were just like, all right, man, cool. <laughs> you know, they, they usually, yeah, most of the time, there's some exceptions, to this, but most of the time, the kids that I was working with, they, they were like, just like, uh, okay, sure. Whatever. Right. That was kind of the attitude I got, but it, it was not like, oh yeah, let's let, I'm ready to do this with you. Let's go on a journey. They didn't have that attitude and they weren't just like, you know what? No, shut up and die. They, they were just like, okay, man, what do you want me to say? I'll just I'll just say it if that'll make you stop talking. <laughs> that was I think that was kind of the attitude that they had. Um in the beginning. So uh, let's let's do an experiment here. So I've I've set up the pieces on the chessboard for you here. You can kind of see where my pieces were and you can kind of see where their pieces were. Let's move forward in time. As we move forward in time, I continue what you would see is me continuing to do things that I thought would be helpful for these young men. I would try to tell them things. I would try to teach them stuff. I would try to offer them my um, supposed pearls of wisdom about life and other things. And they were like, mm, nah, nah, man. A a and my reaction to that was to get frustrated. Uh, at times, I think I, I even kind of got hurt. Like, don't you see, I am trying to help you and you are resisting my help. I think I probably thought a version of that a whole bunch of times during this this job just like what what is going on here i'm trying to help why won't people take the help that i'm offering and i didn't have at that moment in that that time in my life i think the ability to really appreciate that the the bigger part of the problem wasn't them it was me 
right? Which isn't to say that they, I was totally the problem, but I was probably the biggest part of the problem. Uh, but anyways, that's a, if I were to go down that cul-de-sec that I, I just passed, I think I'd be kind of sitting in front of this microphone and kind of philosophizing or attempting to philosophize at you for a longer time than I should. Uh, anyway, so that, that's the thing here. I, I was, the important part of this uh, time in the story is to realize that I was starting to get frustrated, right? If you get that, we're good. Uh, so I'm getting frustrated, I'm getting frustrated, I'm getting frustrated. As I'm getting frustrated, another thing that is also happening is that the amount of things that I am supposed to do at this job is increasing. And uh, specifically, the amount of things that I'm supposed to do on my own is increasing. Let me say a little bit about that. When I first got the job, that one of the things that they had me do, I, this place that was run by, I think, a pretty smart dude. And I think he he saw it in me, you know, when he hired me, he saw this this youngish person who had uh, who had a desire to help people, but really didn't have a whole any experience with the kind of person that I was attempting to help. And so what he had me do is for like an entire month was not do much. He said, just kind of like watch people run groups, hang out with these these kids that you're here to to work with, play cards with them, talk to them, listen to them, get to know them. You know, just you're, you're not, you don't need to accomplish anything. You don't need to get a whole lot of stuff done. There's other people here. They're more experienced, more knowledgeable than you. Your job for this first month is just to get to know people and kind of get a sense of what it is that we're doing here. So that's what I did for a month. I was able to just sort of like get to know people. And what was going on at that time was a lot of what I would just described a bit ago, right? Me being like, Hey, I, I want to get to know you. And people are like, mm, okay, I guess. And, and I did a lot of that. I watched a lot of people run therapeutic groups. I, I talked to a bunch of different professionals who were doing this for a longer time than I was doing it because I was very new, so on and so forth. So that was month one. In month two, what he had me do is start to like co-facilitate different kinds of therapeutic groups. And he he made me uh, sort of like be the point person for a very small, like say three, three different kids who were in the program. Like I was the person who they were supposed to come to when they needed or wanted something. Uh, so that that's that was month number two. And then by the time we get to month number three, really closer to the end of month number three, now that I think about it, uh, the the guy in charge said, okay, you've you've been hanging out, you've been getting to know people, you've been watching a lot, hopefully learning a lot, because now what you're going to do is you're going to start leading groups on your own. You're going to start doing that. There's a lot of group therapy that took place in this place. So I was like, okay, great. So this is where the story starts. I'm about to run my very, very first therapeutic group. Uh, it is a group on chemical dependency education. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into a room and it's going to be filled with, let's say, eight to 12 adolescent kids, all, all males, all who come from very different backgrounds than me. Uh, and I'm supposed to teach them something about chemical dependency education. This is hilarious for many reasons. One, these kids know infinitely more about chemical dependency and about drug use and drugs than I do, right? They 
I, I don't know what I, really, they should be teaching me. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. The, the idea that I know enough to teach them is somewhat insane, laughable. Uh, but that's the situation. And so that's why I'm, I'm like, I'm going to go do this group, right? So cool. I go in there. Now, um, at this point in time, like I said, I've been working there for about, let's say, three months. And one of the things that I've learned during this three months is that uh, there's an incentive system in place here. So here's how kind of how the incentive system works. So this is one of the when, earlier when I was saying that that being in a treatment center is way probably better than being in like jail or prison. Here's one of the reasons why. At this treatment center, and this seems to be something that other treatment centers also do, you're, you, the people who were there, they lived there. They were residentially placed. However, after they were there for a certain period of time, they could, uh, I'm use, uh, using my air quote fingers again here, earn uh, something called a pass. And what was a pass? Well, a pass was something where they could leave the substance abuse treatment center, usually you know, not on their own completely, sometimes on their own, but that would be later. Uh, most of the time what was happening is a member of their family was coming to the, to the facility and picking them up and they could leave and they could go like out into the world and do things. And so at this facility, the way it worked is the first pass you could get, you could get after you had been there for, let's just say, I think it was like 30 days. So after 30 days, you could apply for a pass and you could leave for like four hours. And then the next one would be eight hours, then 12 hours, then 24 hours was, was the other one here. And these all took place on the weekends. People would leave on pass. And so they'd, they'd go and they'd do whatever. And they were expected to be back by a certain time. Uh, and this is not something you can do in jail, right? So this is this is a nice perk. And the, the pass was probably the most valuable thing that I think these kids had, right? It, when they could leave on pass, they could go and they could eat the food they wanted to eat. The food at this facility, not very good. They could see the people they wanted to see. They could do the things they wanted to do. They could wear the clothes they wanted to wear. There was a dress code at this place. They couldn't just wear whatever they wanted. They had to wear just like a, a nondescript white t-shirt and then like solid color pants. And this dress code was in place to prevent gang representation. Uh, so the, all the things that they wanted to do, they could do on pass. So the pass was a very valuable thing. Now, if you noticed that a kid wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, so to give you an example, let's say that somebody was supposed to wake up in the morning get themselves dressed, and go down to the cafeteria for breakfast. This is a, a basic expectation that existed in this facility. Sometimes a person would choose not to get up. They would want to keep sleeping and rather than get up, get dressed, and go down to breakfast, which was against the rules. And so if somebody chose to do that, they would be written up for being out of area. They were in their room when they should have been in the cafeteria. Uh, that's just one kind of example here. Then what would happen is somebody uh, called a primary counselor for the person who was written up would see the write-up and they would have to then come up with an appropriate consequence for this infraction of the rules. Now, sometimes these consequences were things like write somebody an apology letter. Sometimes if you like, I don't know, if you made something messy, you were probably going to be told clean it up. Um, there, there was different things. But one of the big consequences that people could get was time subtracted from their passes. So it, in the example I gave earlier, if somebody misses breakfast, let's say breakfast is one hour. If they chose to sleep instead of go down to breakfast, they could lose an hour from their pass. So if they had an eight hour pass, now their pass is seven hours. This is something that happened. So 
what would what you if you were on this unit, if you were in this facility on this unit, one of the things you would see with a lot of regularity was somebody telling a kid, hey, kid, you have to do this thing. The kid would say, I'm not going to do it. The person would say, no, please. Or somebody wouldn't say, please. Sometimes they would just be like, you have to do it. And the kid would be like, I don't have to do anything that you tell me. And then the, the person who worked there would be like, okay, fine, I'll write you up. And the kid would be like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Uh, again, and they would say then they were choosing to do it. They weren't choosing to do it. What they were choosing to do was to um, not get in trouble and lose time from their pass. Uh, incidentally, sometimes you would see like there are certain things that were like really big deal rule breaking things. So if somebody did like broke out a, a rule, an important rule, they might lose their whole pass. And if you saw somebody in that situation, once somebody lost their whole pass, they, they would just, you know, they would do all sorts of things they weren't supposed to do. They would stop following rules in a ton of different ways. Sometimes that would lead to them then losing the next pass too. Uh, but whatever, this is the thing that was going on. So I think I've told you everything you need to know. I think all the pieces are on the board. I think the board's set up. I think that you know what you need to know to understand the story that I'm going to tell you. But... Before I tell you the story, again, we're going to do a little bit of a transition here. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about something that happened. Before the transition music, I mentioned that this story is the story of the first group that I was trying to run on my own. Up until this point, what I have been doing is I have been uh, kind of facilitating groups with somebody else. So I was a co-facilitator. Somebody who was more experienced than I was was in charge. And I was there kind of as like a, a co-pilot of sorts. I was, I, w- I was actually more there to learn than anything. Uh, so I, I had been watching different people run groups for a while. And now here I am about to run my first group on my own. I go into the room where the group is supposed to take place. And I'm I, let's just say there's like 10 kids in there. I don't remember exactly how many kids were in there. So it was a long time ago. But let's just say there was about 10 kids in there. Now They have just transitioned from a, one activity. I think these kids were coming back from their recreation time. So they'd been in, in the gym. The facility had a gym with, you know, weights and treadmills and things like that. Another perk of being in a treatment center. So they'd come from that and now we're going to do uh, this group on chemical dependency education. And there's this transition time. So during the transition time, kids have come into the room and they've, uh, some of them have lied down on couches. They've closed their eyes. They're going to start taking a nap. Uh, another uh, group of like, say, four kids has pulled up a table and they've started to deal out cards. They're going to play a game called spades. I have another kid who's taking a pencil 
and he's throwing it into the air, trying to stick it into the drop ceiling. Um, there's a, a bathroom in this room, and there's another kid going into the bathroom. That's the scene as I come in here. So I let a couple of minutes go by so that people can, because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm collecting myself. I'm getting ready to do this thing. And then uh, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, let's get started. And it's like nobody heard what I said. They all, it's a smallish room. Everybody heard what I said, but nobody's registering what I said. Nobody's acting as if they have heard what I've said. And, I, and so I'm like, no, seriously, come on, let's put the cards away. Hey, dude with the pencil, could you please not throw the pencil into the ceiling? Now there's a kid coming out of the bathroom. He's got his hands cupped and he has water in his hands and he throws it on another kid who now this, who's the kid who's trying to lie down and take a nap. Now that kid's mad. Uh, and I'm like, hey, stop it, stop it. Now the kid who's been woken up is saying all sorts of nasty, inappropriate things to the kid who threw water on him. That kid's going to get more water. Um, the kid has not stopped throwing the pencil. The card game continues. And I'm like, this is not going the way that I want it to. So I like, you know, clap my hands. I turn the lights on and off. Hey, everybody, I'm up here. I'm saying things and stuff. Look at me, look at me. I'm telling you stuff. Um, and, and people are looking at me, but they're not looking at me like, okay, let's get started. They're looking at me like, you're irritating. <laughs> Stop talking. And uh, it's not working, right? And so at this point, I do something super dumb. I say, if you all don't start doing what you're supposed to be doing, I'm going to write you all up. I, I, I threaten. That's what I just did there. I threatened a group of people, right? And uh, after I do that, what happens is uh, a kid, a young man, gets up and uh, I had set out some notes and some papers and some other stuff on a table and I was behind that table and he walks up to the table. He looks at me. He looks at the table. He pushes all of the things that I placed on the table off of the table and onto the floor. Now for this next part of the story, I, I should probably should have said this at the beginning part of the podcast, but I, I forgot to, so I'll say it now. The next part of the story is going to involve me saying, you know, bad words. I'm, I'm going to be using it. This will have the explicit tag. Yeah, this podcast will because I'm going to swear. So if you're listening to this podcast like in your car and you've got some kids with you or your judgmental in-laws or I don't know, your boss or something like that, if you're in that sort of a situation, maybe you want to hit pause here and find something else to listen to. That might be a good idea if you're in that kind of a situation because the words that I'm about to use, they're not appropriate for your judgmental in-laws. I don't know what your boss is like. They might not be the kind of things that you want your boss to hear. Uh, and if you have kids, yeah, you know, probably don't want them hearing it either. Okay? Everybody heard that? Everybody's been process processed that information. And if you're in that situation, you have decided to make a different choice. Groovy. Okay. With that out of the way, um, let's, let's set this up again. So I, I have threatened everybody. If you don't start doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to write you all up. You know, a kid has gotten up, walked over to where I am, pushed all of the things that I placed on a table off of the table and onto the floor. Story would have been so much more dramatic if I didn't need to pause and do the, I'm going to swear thing. Eh, live and learn. 
And I said, that's happened. All my stuff is on the floor. And the kid looks at me. He gets, and he puts, he, 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 I'm standing up, he's standing up. So he, uh, he's on one side of the table. I'm on the other. He puts his hands on the table and leans forward. So he's, his face is now closer to my face. And he says, I don't give no fucks about what you're going to do. You can go ahead and take my motherfucking pass because my people aren't going to come and get me for no motherfucking pass anyhow. So why don't you just shut your stupid bitch ass mouth up? Right? This has happened. And now, now everybody is quiet. That card game has come to an end. That kid who is going to get water, water is no longer on his mind. The kid who was sleeping, he's awake. He's paying attention. The kid who was throwing his pencil into the ceiling, he's got it in his hands. He's watching this. He's about, everybody is like, what is going to happen now? Right? Because here I am, I have attempted you know, to, to be an authority figure and to make people do what they need to do to make them follow the rules. I have, I have been like, Hey, follow the rules or else, right? Like I just made that move. And then this other person has made their counter move, push all my stuff onto the floor, get in my face, swear at me. That's what's just happened here. Here's the, the next part of the story is, is, Interesting. I was really, really, really lucky that this next part of the story actually happened. This is one of those things that I, it's like looking back at it. This is like one of those things that I I would say would happen in a movie, but wouldn't happen in real life, but it did happen in my real life. So uh, the kid has pushed all the stuff on the floor. He's gotten in my face. He said these things. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I I'm having all sorts of different emotions run through my mind and body. And the door to the room opens and in walks this guy, an an older gentleman who has worked at this place for a long time and who understands a lot more about these uh, young men, these kids. I use both those words, right? It sounds kind of weird, but whatever. I'll just use them both interchangeably here. He, He knows more about them. He knows more about where they've come from. He understands a lot more about them than I do. And this is one of those guys when he comes into a room, like there's certain people, maybe you've seen this, maybe you've experienced this. Uh, if, if a certain kind of person walks into a room, like the vibe of the room changes, like everybody is like, oh, that person's here. Like sort of don't do something dumb. This dude had that kind of an effect on whatever room it was that he happened to walk into. He was actually respected i think by the the people the kids who were in this facility they thought okay that guy we respect him they didn't respect me i can tell you that they did respect him and because they respected him they they changed the way they were behaving when he was in the room so he enters into the room and he just says what's going on here and um i was like i was trying to get us started and it's having a hard time. No one's doing what they're supposed to do. I told them all they're going to get written up if they didn't start. And he was like, okay, hey, do you mind if I hang out for a little bit maybe? And I was like, no, that, that'd be fine. So he hangs out. And now he's in the room. So everybody like chills out and actually starts l- listening to me tell them about chemical dependency education, which, as I pointed out before, is hilarious because, well, they know a lot more about it than I do. And the group goes on and I say my things 
I don't know if I had him do it. Maybe I had him do an activity. I don't remember exactly what I did. Uh, and it wraps up and, you know, it's time to transition to the next thing. So the kids are transitioning and this dude who came into the room, he, uh, he says, Hey, can I, can I talk to you about this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes, what, what was happening here? I was outside. You know what I mean? I heard the ruckus, then everything got really quiet. And so I decided to like go, Ooh, that quiet, that's not the kind of quiet that you want. That's the bad kind of quiet. So I came over here just to kind of see what was, what was happening, you know? And let me get this right. So, so they weren't doing what you were supposed to, what you thought they were supposed to do. They weren't doing what you wanted. I'm like, yep. He's like, okay. And you thought the way to handle that was to say, I'll write you up if you don't do what I want you to do. I was like, also true. He was like, uh-huh. And then, you know, this, this, this other, this kid like got really mad obviously and did something which you know, I'll, I'll say was probably a, inappropriate but that that's what he did and, and that's when i came in I'm like, yeah you've you've pretty much got it yeah huh okay he said why why did you think that threatening to write them up was going to get you what you wanted and I, I i said well here's the deal right like i needed to show them that i was in control right that's why I, I said i wasn't in control so what i needed to do was show them that i was in control and he went oh that's interesting and I was like, what do you mean it's interesting? Because interesting is one of those words. It can mean anything, right? Interest- when somebody says something was interesting, that could mean they, they think it was kind of a, a fascinating thing that they wanted to pay more attention to. It could also mean that they think that something was terrible, right? So interesting is one of those words that can mean anything. So when he says, that's interesting, I'm like, what do you mean it was interesting? And he goes, hmm. well, here's the thing, man. If you need to show them that you are in control, you're actually not in control. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yes, obviously, right, you're, you're, you're correct. I understand that. And he goes, huh, you say you understand it, and but I don't actually think you really understand it. I don't think you get it. Maybe one day you will. I hope that you do, you know, and, and if you do one day, maybe we'll talk about it again after you get it. And I was like, no, no, I do, I do get it. And he's like, no, you, you don't though. He's like, there's, he's like, do, do you understand the words that you're using? Do you understand their meaning? Yes, you do. So he's like, you, you understand that if at like an intellectual level, he's like, but you don't understand, you haven't like integrated this, this truth into yourself. It's, it's not like a part of you yet. You don't understand it in your bones. You know, he's like, that was kind of it, right? He's like, it's just, it's, if you need to show him that you're in control, you're not in control. And I was like, I, after, and then he kind of ended the conversation and went off to go do something else. He, he rode off into the sunset, we'll say. And, and after that, I was, I was mad, actually, after this conversation. I was like, who, the, I, this guy, I do understand. I do understand. He thinks I understand, but I understand. I was, I, was, I was irritated. I was frustrated. I was upset that this had taken place. I wasn't, like, furious or anything, but I, I, was, not in, I was not pleased that this conversation had occurred. Right. So that's that's the the first part of the story. That's the story that I'm attempting to tell you. And now we're going to go to the second part. The second part is, I think, the cool part of the story. So I hope you're ready for the second part.
so here we are, second part of the story. First part of the story was the part where I tried to be in control. And the way that I tried to be in control was by threatening. Didn't work very well. Let's fast forward several months at this point, right? So I don't remember exactly how long it would have been, but it, a, a while. I'm, let's just make a time up here. Let's just say it's about six months later, right? So this is a, this, that first part of the story happened after I'd been at this place for about three months. And so this is another six months. So this is like nine months or so into this job that I have. I'm supposed to be running another group. I'm supposed to be running a group on my own. And this group that I'm supposed to be running is a group on healthy relationships. Also hilarious that a young me was running that group because I did not know anything about healthy relationships. You might see a pattern emerging here. I <laughs> uh, didn't know anything about chemical dependency education, didn't really know anything about healthy relationships, uh, and here I am supposed to be, you know, air quotes, helping these people. Hilarious, very hilarious. Yeah, so I'm supposed to be running this group on healthy relationships. So I go into a room, it's a different room than the room where the previous group, previous part of the story took place. And it's a bigger room. And I go in there and, you know, kids have transitioned. I think now they, they're coming back from like lunch and they're, they're supposed to do this group on healthy relationships. And, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, it's, the setup isn't quite as bad as it was before. I have a bunch of kids who have decided it's a good time to take a nap. I again have kids playing cards, playing cards happens all the time in this place. And, uh, here's the, and I, I'm trying to tell the kids who are playing cards, please put your cards away. Uh, there was a TV in this room and a kid had found a way to turn it on. They weren't supposed to be able to have that power, but they, this kid had figured it out. So he's like, turn on the TV, I'm like turn off the TV, put away the cards. Um, those of you who are sleeping, please, you know, let's wake up. Uh, and there's like, this is a, I mentioned this is a bigger room than the previous. It was a big room in this room. There are like 10 different windows, 10 at least. And out of all of these windows, uh, they can open, they can close. And there's one uh, out of the 10 that has a big sign on it that says, this window is broken, do not open it. A kid has walked up to, out of all of the windows, the window with the sign on it and is starting to open the window. And I'm saying to him, dude, you clearly see that that window has a sign on it that says, don't open the window. And there's like nine other windows. And he's, he's looking right at me as I'm saying this. So it's very clear that he hears the words that I'm saying and absolutely understands them. And he's smiling and he's like still opening the window, right? And that's what's going on here. And at this moment, a really weird thing happened in my head. Really weird thing. I had just had it. I was like, I, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was, I, I, I was just like, I cannot believe this. I cannot, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is my life. And I just actually got to this weird point where I embraced the fact that I can't make any of these kids do anything. I can't, I don't have control. I don't have it. I have zero control here or maybe not zero, but I, I don't have very much, right? I'm, I do not have the control that I want to have. It's not mine. I don't have it it's it's i'd like to have it i don't that's that right and i'm just like all right whatever um so at that point i just said to the kid i'm like all right dude if you need to open the window open the window go ahead you know if you guys want to keep on playing cards go ahead if you want to take naps take naps here's what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to say the things that i came into this room to say 
Uh, and at the end of that, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to write down on pieces of paper what happened. And I'm going to take those pieces of paper. I'm going to put them in the box. And we'll see what happens next. Uh, a little bit of a side note about this. Sometimes when you, I mentioned earlier, if a person got written up, that write-up would go to their primary counselor. And then that primary counselor was the person who would determine what the consequence was. Uh, there was a lot of inconsistency in that. Like, so some some primary counselors were like rule people, and any like breaking of the rules resulted in like the most harshest consequences ever. And other primary counselors were rather lax about the way that they viewed the rules, and they gave out really kind of like powder puff consequences that no one cared about. And there was the wide you know area in between those two. So when you wrote a kid up, you actually didn't know what was going to happen. I probably didn't make that clear before. So uh, when I said all I'm going to do is just like write down, because at the end of every group we had to uh, document what happened to that group. Most of the time what people would do is they'd just be like, did a group on this topic. Client appeared to be engaged as evidenced by them saying things and stuff. That was that, right? Um, uh, all I was going to do was at this point I said, I'm just going to write down what happened and put the pieces of paper in the box and then it's not my problem anymore. I don't know what happens to you after that. And that, And I meant it when I said that, right? I was not saying, in the first part of the story, when I was saying I'm going to write you up, uh, I was also saying, and that means that you'll lose time on your passes, right? I was saying, I'm going to do this, and it's going to have this effect. In the second part of the story, I'm saying, I'm going to do something, and I have no idea what's going to happen as a result of that. So these, these are radically different things, right? Time number one, I'm threatening you, and what's kind of going on in that threat is I, I'm assuming that I know what's going to happen, and I'm threatening you with that. And the second part of the story that I'm telling now, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying I'm going to do something and then who knows. And here's the weird thing. Every single kid in that room, after I did this, kind of was like, oh, okay. Like something happened in their heads too. It was like magic because they put away their cards. The kid turned off the TV. Most of the kids who were lying down sat up and the kid stopped trying to open the broken window, Right. It, seriously, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. It was like magic. What happened? Here's what happened. I realized the thing that that dude with presence, who everybody respected, was telling me about control. When I was trying to have control, when I was trying to show people that I was in control, I was, I was grasping at this thing that I didn't have. I was trying to possess this thing that I did not possess control. And the more that I tried to possess it, the more that I tried to grasp it, the less I had it. And in fact, it was paradoxical. The more I tried to be in control, the less I was in control. In the second situation, I recognized I do not have control here. Or again, that's probably not the best way to put it. I don't have the control that I want to have. I, I can control what I write down on these pieces of paper. That's the only thing I got here. That's it. I'll write down things on pieces of paper. I can control that. Whether or not that has any influence on the behavior of the people in the room with me, no idea. Some will care, some won't. So instead of trying to grasp control, instead I did the opposite, which was embracing my lack of control. Instead of trying to make things happen, I just said, Here's what I'm going to do. I don't know what is going to happen as a result of that. This is These are so different, such different ways of approaching situations. 
The first way sucks. It's dumb. It doesn't work. The second way a lot of times does. And I, this is one of those things like this, this lesson, I remember having this after that, but after the second group came to an end, I was like, that's really interesting what just happened there. And I remembered the conversation with the dude, the dude who everybody respected. And I was like, this is what he was talking about. This is it. This is the thing. I actually did go and talk to him about it. And I was like, hey, let me tell you, uh, you remember months back, we had this conversation about control and you were like, you don't get it. And he was like, I kind of remember that a little bit. And I'm like, so here's what just happened. I, I told the, uh, nothing was going the way I wanted it to. And I was like, hey, just do what you want. I'm going to write things down on pieces of paper. And then who knows? And everybody started doing what I wanted. He was like, oh, I think you do actually get it. He was like, I didn't think you were. I thought you were one of those, those like young people who was, you know, just too, who thought he was so smart that you weren't ever going to get it. You're surprising me. This is cool. You get, you got it. <laughs> and here's the thing, this, this lesson, this stuck with me. I have thought about this a bunch of times over my career uh, and just not even when I'm working, I've thought about it in other parts of my life too. The, the, it, it's, this is the, the paradox I think of, of control sometimes. The more that people attempt to exert control over situations, a lot of, not every time, but very often I think what will happen is they will lose control. They might get the appearance of control, but that's not the real thing. And when people uh, accept that they don't have that, that they lack the control. Interestingly, they kind of get more of it. It's weird. It doesn't necessarily make sense. It's one of those non-intuitive sorts of things. And if you're listening to this right now, some of you might like get that, right? You, you've had your own version of this and you, you get it. And others of you, you're going you're gonna to be like me in the first part of the story. You're going to hear this and you're going to think, oh yeah, I get that and you don't get it. But you know what? Maybe someday you will, if you're that person. Maybe. We'll see. So anyways, that's it. Uh, I've, I've told my story. I've said my things. This has been an episode of The Gorman Limit. Thanks for taking the time to listen. And uh, until the next time I'm in your ears, I hope I'm in your ears again sometime. But until then, make glorious mistakes. <laughs>